come this morning, I ask you to take your Bibles and open them to the book of Romans, chapter 9. Uh, getting back uh, this year into our study and working our way through the book of Romans. I've uh, gotten up to chapter 9. Hopefully this year we'll be able to get all the way through it. But when we come and we begin look at Paul's writing and study that, we've made our way through. And he's talked about how everyone was a sinner and how that God loved everyone and that he sent his son to become uh, our place. He took our place on the cross. And when we look at Paul's writing, he covers easy things, he covers good things, he covers difficult things, he covers things we know and sometimes things we're not quite sure about. And when we come today and we begin this series over the next several weeks of looking at God's nature, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 over the next, as I said, several weeks. And as we look at that, we're going to work our way through the sovereignty of God. We're going to work our way through the justice of God, and we're going to work our way through the faithfulness of God. So today, I want us to take time looking at chapter 9 at the sovereignty of God. Now, oftentimes in our context and in our world, when you hear the name or the title of sovereignty of God, many words begin to come to play to mind, some of those being election. And predestination and God choosing. And these are things that we have to look at, things that we have to wrestle with. God talks about in his Bible. What do we believe? Where do we stand? Where do these things come from? But what I want to tell you today, when we're finished today, two main things we're going to come away with is that God is faithful to save his chosen remnant and that the condemned have condemned themselves. There's some will tell you, well, God's not sovereign unless he chooses who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Well, we don't see that in Scripture that God's out there picking some and saying you can go and you can't go necessarily. And we see that people go to hell because they're sinners and because they choose to reject the calling of God. One put it this way, when we think about this idea of sovereignty, the pendulum swings in two different directions, to one extreme and the other. And one is saying that the whole choice, everything about salvation is totally man's. And the problem with that is it places the burden of salvation squarely on the shoulders of the individual. It suggests that one can lose his or her salvation either by choice or by sinning. And invariably it leads to legalism and emphasizing a keeping the law so I can keep my salvation. Well, then some take that pendulum, they swing it all the way to the other side and said it's all about God and man has no choice whatsoever in the matter. Well, let me tell you, there's a problem with that. It places the liability for an individual's condemnation entirely on God, which it's not. It leads to the conclusion that God causes evil. And it suggests that humanity has no stake at all in God's plan to redeem the world. Invariably, this leads to fatalism and underemphasis on human responsibility and a paralysis. I believe if we look at God's word, that pendulum falls in the middle. Man cannot come to God unless God calls man. And man has a choice to accept that calling on God. So this morning with that in note, let's take a dive into Romans chapter 9 and look at what Paul has to say about that. 
If you would please stand, we'll read the first part of this, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises Whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all God-blessed forever? Amen. Father God, today, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would help me to step aside. Father, in my flesh, Lord, that I would be a vessel just surrendered to you and that you would speak through me. And that, Father, that each one here today and those that are listening, Lord, That their hearts would be soft and their ears would be open to none other than the Holy Spirit. And Father, the the Holy Spirit would speak, would speak through me, and would guide us in your word. And Father God, I just pray everything in the precious, most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your bulletin there, there's an outline in there. Yes, I am aware there's five points. But I will get you out in time for lunch the best we can. But the first thing that we see that Paul is writing is about a problem. The problem. Well, what's the problem that he's writing to? Because he's writing to those who are in Rome, to the church there, and to the Jews that are there. The problem is not all Jews are going to heaven. And not all Jews are God's chosen people just because they're a Jew. Well, they didn't like that. So he begins by stating that he is concerned. Paul himself was a Jew. If you notice there in verse 1, he says he begins this section by, I'm telling the truth in Christ. And then he reemphasizes that I'm not lying. And then he says, my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. Three ways he's saying, I'm telling you the truth. But then we get to Paul's heart there at verse 2, that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. He's saying, I care for my brethren. I'm not just saying these things to be ugly, to be mean. We get Paul's nature of who he is, that he's grieving. Do you know it's possible to be on a high, to be serving the Lord, be doing things right and still be grieving in your heart? No, many of us have been there. And Paul has just got finished in these previous chapters we looked at, talking about great things, and now he's saying that he's grieving. But listen to how much he cares for his people. Verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What is Paul saying here? Is he saying, if it were possible... I would be separated forever from God if that could help save some of my kinsmen, some of my Jews, some of the the fellow Israelites. But we know that that's not possible. But he's saying, that's my heart. I so have a heart and a care and a concern. 
But he's also telling them that God has a matter in this too. And he says there at verse 4, listen to who he's talking about and the problem that he's saying. Who are the Israelites? He didn't call them Jews here. He called them the Israelites. He's using the God-given name for the people that God chose. Out of all the entirety of the world, God chose a group of people and he called them the Israelites. They came down through the lineage of Israel. But what else about that? He says they belong to the adoption as sons. In Exodus 4.22, God calls them my firstborn. You see, God has adopted the Israelites in and he's brought them He says, not only are they God's chosen, not only are they the only group that God has given a specific name to, not only are they the ones that have the adoption as sons, but they have the glory. These Jews saw the glory. They knew their ancestors talked about the Shekinah glory that was over the Ark of the Covenant as they come out and as it moved before them. said, God gave them the covenants. The only group of people, the Israelites, God chose. He gave them covenants. He gave them the law. There are other people who have formed laws off of God's word, but the Israelites were the ones God gave the law to originally. He gave them temple service. What do you do to sacrifice for your sins before Christ came? How did that happen? And then he gave them promises. But more than all that, he said, here it is. He said, who are the fathers of whom is the Christ according to the flesh? He's talking about Christ in the flesh, not Christ in his deity here. But Christ came through the same line. He was a Jew. But he is above all. And God has blessed him above all. Amen. He said, here's the problem. You have to come through faith. He's saying the problem is God chose a group of people, the Israelites that he ended up calling them, he gave them everything to show them who he was. And yet there are many that had rejected him. So what does Paul do? He moves on from the problem but to the explanation. He said, let me explain to you exactly what I'm talking about here with the explanation. Look there at verse 6. It says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children, because they are Abraham's descendant, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for through the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's promise, according to his choice, would stand, and not because of works, but because of who calls it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. So he says, here it is. God chooses, but not everyone that God chooses, chooses to receive him. 
So he goes on with this explanation here of going through their lineage. We've talked about this before. The the Jews bragged and they boasted about their lineage. I'm from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God's saying it's not all about that. Not everyone, he said, that come from Abraham is the descendant that God said was the inheritance of the promise. You see, Isaac had sons and the one that God said is Isaac. Isaac is the one that's going to come through. You see there at verse 7, Nor are they all children because they're Abraham's descendant, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. There's the promise that God gave. It's through Isaac's bloodline that the promise came to those that were God's chosen people. Well, some say, yeah, yeah, there's a, a problem there. Because there were, you know, Abraham also had a son by another woman. So that's when he brings it down a little bit, Rebecca. He says, look at Rebecca. When she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, God told her that the younger would serve the older. That's out of context for them. God chose that the younger would serve the older If you see there back at verse 8, it says, This is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. That's referring back. Let's read to you real quick from Romans 4, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. See, God's saying it's not based upon what you're doing. It's based upon what I'm doing. It's about me. Verse 11, he says, but not because of works, but because of him who calls. It's by faith alone. We cannot do anything in our power to earn or deserve God's favor. But God chose within his self to give us his favor. God chose to send his son to die on the cross to be a substitution for us. But we must receive that and we must receive it through faith alone. Verse 13 has often caused some conflict for some. When it says, just that it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated Many will take that into context is that God hated Esau before he was born. That he chose to love Jacob and hated Esau. But what we must understand, when you look at, many of your Bibles might have that verse, it's in all capital letters. If that is so, it is in all capital letters because it's referring back to the Old Testament. And what we must understand is when this was said... Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. It was said in the book of Malachi, the last book, the Old Testament. God had disproved of Esau's life. Not that God chose from the beginning of time to hate him, but Esau rejected God. And because of that, God had rejected him. So he's put out there for them the problem And then he began to give them an explanation of showing how God does choose. But then he knew, Paul being a smart Jew, knew that there would be objections. 
So he wanted to take a few moments and go over the objections that were there. Let's look at verse 14. What shall we say then? There is no justice with God. There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For thus very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? Or does the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and for another common use? What if God... Although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he also called, not from among the Jews only, but also from the, among the Gentiles." He begins this little section with this objection. They said, well, is God unjust then? That God's going to choose this way and not that way? He says, no. And you love how he always puts that emphatic. May it never be. There is no injustice in God. God is justice. God is the all great judge. And that's what he goes on to, to deal with their objection. Because he talks about Moses. He says, here's one for you. God said, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Moses had asked God to show him himself in all of his glory. God told Moses he would pass by. But this is what he said. Moses, it's not because you're asking. It's not because you're begging. He says, I'll do what I want to do. Let's just bring it down to earth's terms. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So he says, and it doesn't depend on man who wills or on the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. It doesn't depend upon what we want to do. It doesn't depend, he's telling them, on what the works are that you're trying to do. It doesn't depend upon you keeping every letter of the law, which you can't do. It's based upon God having mercy. We see this also when it goes back to you. Remember when Moses come off of the mountain and he had those Ten Commandments. And they had made that golden calf, God's people already rejecting him and choosing to worship after another idol. Moses broke those Ten Commandments. He went it up and he pleaded with God on their behalf, just as Paul began, that he would like to be separated. Moses said, God, would you forgive them? And Moses so had a heart for his people that he said, God, if you're going to take them out, take me out too. 
But it's about God having mercy. And God chose that day when they went down there. He removed some of the Israelites and some were left. We know that when they wandered through the wilderness because they refused to follow faithfully after God, that there was a remnant left after those 40 years of people. God uses the remedy. He's telling them we'll see that in just a moment. But then he moves on. He says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole heart. So are you telling me, pastor, that God made Pharaoh the way that he was just so that he could show his glory? No. God made Pharaoh the man that Pharaoh is, but Pharaoh chose to be disobedient. Well, what does it mean that God raised you up? God put Pharaoh in the position that he was in. So that he could use him to show his glory. We know about Pharaoh and that his heart was hardened. Some say God hardened his heart. Well, if you look through the scripture, how does it begin? And Pharaoh refused to do this. And Pharaoh said he wasn't going to follow God. And Pharaoh did this. You know, eventually after enough time, your heart becomes hardened. And God just turns you over to your own sin. Pharaoh was the one that turned from God. We can take these two in contrast. Look at both what Pharaoh and Moses, both raised up in the same household. Both had a good education, split apart for a time. Moses had 40 years that he went in to the wilderness and that God used him on the other side of the mountain and shaped his character. And Moses had 40 years and, excuse me, Pharaoh, and yet he still chose that whole time to stay against God. And then he moves down and he says, can God not do what God wants to do? Can God not take the clay and make both out of it? So he's saying God chose the Jewish people. And yet there's some Jews who choose to, reset, to reject him, some that choose to receive him. But if you notice that it moves into verse 21, or does not the potter have the right over the clay? To make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use or for dishonest use. Within the Jewish people, there were both good and bad. Guess what? Within most churches today, there are both good and bad. Verse 22, he moves on. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Now notice he's moved from the clay, but from vessels. People who are already created. And it says prepared for destruction. This one I had to do a little bit of research on. I wanted to look it up to understand exactly what it was talking about. Did God prepare these people for destruction? Did God create these people just for the reason to send them to hell? No. When you look up the prepared for destruction, in the Greek it is a middle or a passive voice, which means the one receiving the action, those prepared for destruction, was done by themselves. We would say today in English we have a verb, the boy threw the ball. Or we might say the boy was hit by the ball. 
But if you move it into this, what they call voice, the boy hit himself with the ball. So what we could say is to really phrase this is man fits himself to destruction. Man chooses to sin. Man chooses on his own to reject God. It's not God that made them that way. And he did so to make known his riches and his glory, the vessels of mercy he prepared beforehand for glory. It says, even us whom he also called, not among just the Jews, but Gentiles. Now here he goes, out of God's creation. He chooses out of his mercy to bestow love and mercy on both the Jew and the Gentile. Jews thought they're the only ones. If he wasn't a Jew, it was just over with. But God chose after his people rejected him to open to all people. Now let's look at the proof. He said, let me give you a little bit of proof. Okay, look at verse 25. As he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved, And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel will be like sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth fairly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left to us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. He said, here's your proof. God's word will stand. God gave a promise that through the line of Isaac that the Israelites would inherit the kingdom. But he's saying here that promise will be fulfilled. It's not all of them. It says it's a remnant of them. It says the remnant will be saved. What was he referring back to there? But a bunch of the Israelites, because they had rejected God, God allowed the Assyrian Empire to come in, take over, and wipe a lot of them out. Because they chose to reject him. But he chose a remnant that would come back. Hosea, he was talking about those people who are not called by my name, those people who had rejected God, stepped away from him at a time God would come back and call a remnant of his people back to himself. There would be those who would come back, and there's going to be a day of restoring of the Israelites, of those that are after God's heart back into that kingdom because God's promises never fail. Those, he said, were to them, you're not my people, shall be called sons of the living God. They once again will be called sons of the living God. And then he says, let me conclude. He says there, just before I get there, 29, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. God had all right when his chosen people rejected him to just annihilate every one of them off the earth. It's his right. But he chose a remnant. That's what they're saying. If God had not shown his mercy, 
We would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah, hellfire, brimstone. There wasn't one that was right. He wiped them all out. That's what he's saying. If it wasn't God's mercy, we'd all be gone. But he said God showed mercy and that there was a remnant. And then he concludes the conclusion this way, verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. He said, let me give it to you here. He said, the Gentiles were able to come into the family through faith. It's all about the faith. God called and they answered. God chose the Israelite nation. Many of them rejected just because they had a bloodline, just because they had a name. But God chose them. And then it says that they tried to get at it by works. Let me take the law. Let me add all these other laws to it. If we look righteous enough, if we look holy enough, if we act holy enough, maybe, just maybe we can get there. And Paul's saying, no. It says that the Jew and the Gentile, they came through by faith. What do those last two couple of verses say? He said they come by faith. Do you know that this stumbling stone that he's talking about, behold, I lay in Zion, a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. If you go over to Israel today and you find many Jews over there and you ask them, they do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They believe he's a good man. They believe he's a prophet. Now, here are the people that God's given everything to through their lineage. They know about these things. They have the Old Testament. They still read and observe the Old Testament. They're there where these things happened. It's all been laid out before them. But they say, oh, no, it cannot be by faith alone. He's not the man. He didn't take my place. I can't get there just by seeing I've got to do something. See, many people today believe they have to do something. It can't be that simple to come by faith. Well, when the one who chose you, the one who called you, made it that way, and he said, the only way that you're coming to me is through faith in my son. It says, behold, I lay the, in Zion a stone and stumbling a rock of fence. And then that last part, here it is. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. You won't be put to shame. You put your faith in God, you're not going to be disappointed. So when we look at that and we bring it home today, probably none of us sitting in this room are a Jew. Most everyone in this room, if not everyone in this room, would call themselves a Christian. There are a lot of people in this world who call themselves a Christian that are not. They think because they've done something. They think because of the life that they live. But you see, even as a born-again believer, 
I'm where I am because God chose me. And that God called me. And then through faith, I had to receive him. You see, God chose the Israelite people. God is sovereign over everything. Nothing happens in this life that does not run through the very fingertips, as we may say, of God. He is sovereign over all. He created all. He has the right. Now, we don't like to think about this, but follow me all the way through. God has the right to say none of us are going to heaven. Because none of us deserve it. None of us can earn it. But God chose to make it possible. He said, I'm sovereign. This is the way it's going to be. I'm going to set it before you. I'm going to send my son. And through him, you can come. But you must receive that. It's through faith. If you believe in him, you will not be disappointed. Now, do you see the problem that I began with? That if we move the pendulum all this way, that everything is about man. And we say man can earn it. Guess what? If you earn it, you can lose it, right? And then there's some that move it all the way to the other side that man has no choice in the matter that if God calls you, it's going to happen. If he doesn't call you, then you're going to hell. We don't see that either. We have to look at God's sovereignty and understand in his whole nature that he is a loving God and that he has chosen how people are to come before him that he puts a calling out there. The Bible tells us that whosoever will can come. He's putting the call out there, but we also see through Scripture, just as Pharaoh, that when that Holy Spirit calls, there are those who do and those who will harden their heart and reject that invitation. And God will call them again because he's a loving, merciful God. He doesn't have to call a second time. That's why I'm glad I'm not him. I asked you one time, you don't want it. I'd probably tell you, fine then, forget it. But God calls again. He chooses and he calls. And yet they reject again. And eventually the heart becomes so hardened that if Holy Spirit come in with a two by four, they wouldn't hear it. But you see, that's not God. That's what man's done. So there is the responsibility of God that has provided the way and that God that must do the calling because man is not going to stumble upon God on his own. God must call him. But man has the responsibility to answer and to receive that. Not every Christian's going to heaven just as not every Jew's going to heaven. There'll be a remnant. We see all through Scripture about a remnant, a few. Narrow is the way. Are you on the narrow path? Where do you stand today? What I want you to know is as we look at the nature of God, he is sovereign. And he must call us and he does that. But we must receive it. We're going to look at, begin next week, start looking at the, the justice of God. As we work our way through these. But know church that God is sovereign. He is creator. He is in control. And whether we like it or not. I'm here to tell you. God has the right to do whatever he wants to do. With you and with I. 
but I also see in Scripture that he loves and that he calls. May you bow your heads. Father God, I am thankful. Lord, your, your Scripture shows us plainly, Father, that there is something to this of you choosing Father, we see it all through Scripture, Lord, that you're sovereign, that you have the the right to choose. Father, we've seen in Scripture those that you've chosen and even those that you chose, some of them rejected you. Father, some that were not originally in the chosen, Father, they came to you through faith because you called them. Father, we know your word stands firm and that, Father, you will fulfill your promise to the Israelites, Lord, it tells us that there will be a remnant that comes back to you. Father, I pray today, Lord, that if there's someone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, that, Father, right now, again, you would put a calling on their life. Father, I pray that you would soften their heart. Father, that they would respond. Because, Father, you don't promise us, you don't guarantee us another opportunity. But, Father, we are gathered here today by a divine appointment from you because you called each of us that are here. We didn't wake up this morning and just come on our own. Lord, you chose us to be here for this very moment, for this very day, for this very moment of worship. Father, would you move in our hearts Father, would you call those that don't know you? Lord, if there's someone here, Father, that's kind of like those Israelite people, Lord, and they've strayed from you, would you call them back? Father, would you help them surrender to you again? Father, we give you thanks that you promise us, that you guarantee us, Father, that final gift of eternity with you but you guarantee us a life living with you now father god i just pray everything in the precious most holy name of your son jesus amen would you just stand where you are for a moment just keep your heads bowed For the next few moments, it's just going to be silence. I'm going to open these altars. Is God calling on your life? Have you never surrendered to him? It's not too late. Is Holy Spirit speaking? Have you drifted from him? He's calling right now. Come back. Father God, thank you for your love. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for salvation. Father, thank you that you've called me, and Father, you've called many others. Father, would you help us now to live in that calling, to live it out before you? May you be our primary focus. 
And Father God, I pray everything I pray in the precious, most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen.